Thank you, Ben, for that. Appreciate that very much. Uh, If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at that story that Ben just mentioned. You know, one of the things when I was in Israel, I spent a few days at the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it was beautiful while I was there. It was was a little misty, a little hazy, but it was a a beautiful day. The, The... the, the water was calm, there was hardly any wind, but the geography of the Sea of Galilee is such that winds can come off the Mediterranean and they're funneled through some valleys. The Sea of Galilee is like a, like a basin, and that wind can get in there just out of nowhere and can whip up a storm, and it can make the waves choppy, uh, and it can actually become a very dangerous lake. It can go from a peaceful still lake to a dangerous lake in an instant, uh, and that kind of made me think about the situation we're in. You know, because, what was it, last week people were talking about, uh, you know, especially with school teachers, they were talking about, you know, this week is, uh, we've, we've sprung ahead with our clocks, it's a full moon, and Friday the 13th, right? And that was kind of the big worry. Or you think about, gee, even, even to a few months ago, as we were coming out of 2019 into 2020, people were saying, you know, whew, I'm glad 2019 is over and done with. 2020 is going to be so much better. Yeah, how's that working out there? Not very good. So just suddenly, life can be turned on its head, upside down. Those storms can seemingly come out of nowhere. So in this story, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're hanging out on the boat as they usually did, crossing the Sea of Galilee. They did that time and again. They were doing life and ministry as normal. And then all of a sudden, things changed. This threatening storm erupted on the sea. Now you think about, as Ben said, some of these disciples were fishermen. They made their living fishing on this sea. You would think if anybody would know that these storms could come up out of nowhere and to be prepared for it, you would think these disciples would do that. But for whatever reason, they weren't ready. Maybe they were overconfident. Maybe they were just uh, uh, just sort of off guard for whatever reason, but they became panicked. They were afraid that they were going to die. And all the while, Jesus was asleep peacefully in the back of the boat. But instead of looking to Jesus for their cues as to how to react, they instead just looked at the situation. And they acted with fear and with worry. But just like the disciples, what we have learned through all of this, is that storms can come up in life unannounced, out of nowhere, anytime. And, and like the disciples were that day, we, we, we like to kind of bury our head in the sand. We want to pretend like that's not true. We want to pretend like that we're in control and that everything's going to always be fine and that we should always be able to go where we want, when we want. Amazon's always going to deliver in two days. Walmart's always going to have plenty of toilet paper, right? That's, that's the way we want to think about life. Amen. We want to believe that nothing bad will ever happen to us, that we're invincible. And it doesn't take a pandemic for us to really know deep down inside that isn't true. We do need to be more emotionally, spiritually, and financially prepared to weather the storms of life at any moment. And hopefully this pandemic, if nothing else, will help us to remember that. But the question I want us to look at today is that when we do find ourselves in these storms that are out of our control, how do we respond in faith? How can Jesus help us weather these stormy days? And so let's look at 
Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start with verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake, meaning the, the Sea of Galilee. It really is just a lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. We can learn from this short account that when we we react to life storms with faith, when we remember that Jesus is always in the boat with us, that we can find peace in the storm of fear. If you're following along with your notes, uh, those are the first two blanks to fill you in there. We can find peace in the storm of fear. This storm, as been said, must have been fierce to panic these fishermen like this. They were professionals. I think about the professionals today. Doctors and nurses and first responders. They're alarmed about this virus. And that's what is one of the things that has made me realize that I need to take this seriously. And so... Thankfully, there are some things that we can do to mitigate the spread of this. But as Ben said, ultimately, this is out of our control. But that shouldn't cause us to fear. Instead, what if we imagine what it would be like to cry out to Jesus in the midst of this storm and ask Him to bring calm and peace to our hearts? How does Jesus give us peace when we find ourselves storm-tossed by fear Well, we find peace, first of all, through His promise. Jesus in the story gave a word of certainty. He told the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus was going to the other shore, and they were going to go with Him. See, when Jesus calls us to go, He always makes sure we're going to get there. Now, that doesn't mean that He promises us it's going to be an easy journey. He doesn't say there won't be storms and difficulties. But He promises to get us to the other side. So we can have peace through His promise. And we can have peace through His presence. Because really Jesus' presence with us is the promise, isn't it? And when the storm came up, where was Jesus? With them in the boat. Yes, He was asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. That's just because Jesus wasn't afraid. The disciples were afraid that Jesus could sleep peacefully because He trusted that His Father was always in control. And that brings us to the first of four questions in this story. Jesus looks at the disciples and asks, where is your faith? See, Jesus not only calmed the storm outside on the waters, He was calming the storm that was in their hearts. Their unbelief was really a greater danger to them than the wind and the waves around them. And it brings to mind what James wrote in James 1.6, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed. By the wind. So Jesus, when He rebukes them, He isn't rebuking them for their lack of faith because they failed to prevent the storm. He's not rebuking them because they failed to stop the storm. Scripture never promises that if you just have enough faith, you can evade or eradicate life storms. It doesn't promise us that. 
Jesus rebuked them because they failed to grasp His promise that they were going to the other side. He rebuked them because they failed to take account of the fact that Jesus was present with them. They forgot that when you fear the Lord, you need not fear anything else. Our Old Testament passage, Isaiah 43, beautifully reminds us that when we pass through the waters, God will be with us. The waves will not overcome us. We need not fear, for He has redeemed us. He has called us by name. We are His. But the disciples allowed their uncertainty to cloud their sight, the uncertainty of their circumstances. They looked around, they saw danger, they looked within, they saw fear, but they failed to look up and see the Lord. Even when God seems distant or uncaring or silent, we can trust that He is there with us in the midst of the storms. I love the version of this story in Mark 4, 38 says, He was there asleep in the stern. If Jesus is there, even asleep in the stern, we need not fear. Dwight L. Moody tells the story of a time when a young woman came to him and said, I found a wonderful promise. And she quoted Psalm 56.3, which says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Moody replied, Let me give you a better one. He quoted Isaiah 12.2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. God gives us peace through His promise, especially the promise of His presence. But one reason that we can trust the promise of His presence is because of His power. We can have peace because of God's power. Jesus' disciples rarely were ever the recipients of of Jesus' miraculous power. If you read the Gospels, rarely does Jesus do anything for them miraculously. But here they are in danger. And when they call to Jesus, what does He do? He acts immediately and powerfully. As the church, we cannot forget Jesus' promise and His presence. And the great commission Jesus promised us, He said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have to remember Jesus' promise, His presence and His power available to work in and through us. So yes, when storms like the one we're in right now arise in our lives, we need to trust that Jesus is bigger than this coronavirus. Jesus is able to handle any problem, any tragedy, any storm that we may face. Now, when the disciples came face to face with this awesome power of Jesus, they asked the second question in this story. Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Now it's Jesus they fear because they recognize in Him a power greater than the fiercest storm. It reminds me of the exchange in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the children are talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan. And when they discover that Aslan is a lion, they ask, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver answers, of course he isn't safe, but he is good. We need to remember that our God isn't safe. He's powerful. He's holy. He is worthy of our fear. Our God is the Lion of Judah. He is the consuming fire. And yes, when we have a healthy fear of God, why do we need to fear anyone or anything else? 
And so the disciples wonder, who is this? They're, they're trying to understand this fierce yet loving God in their midst. And if you find yourself wondering the same thing about Jesus, who is this? You're in good company. The disciples wonder this. And like the disciples, we need to know how to answer this question if we're going to go out in His name and under His authority and filled with His Spirit to tell others the good news of His salvation. Jesus promises to see you through whatever it is you're facing. Even a global pandemic. Even financially uncertain times. He promises to be present with you every step of the way. And His power and His authority are not only available to calm the outer storms, but to bring peace to our inner storms as well. Now, we need to read further along in the text here to get to the next part of the story where Jesus was confronted by a man who was in the grips of evil power. He was under Satan's authority. How did Jesus calm this man's storm? Let's look at verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So here Jesus has entered a largely Gentile a community on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, which explains why the chief industry was raising pigs, which was unclean to the Jews. It explains why uh, this man is running around naked and in these tombs, because those were also offenses to Jewish sensibility. So you can imagine how the disciples reacted to this naked man running around the tombs in pig country, right? They knew we're not in Kansas anymore. But this also revealed something important to Jesus' followers, this story. His followers discovered that Jesus' power was not only effective against raging storms on the sea, but even deep in godless Gentile territory, filled with unclean pigs and tombs filled with death and men overrun by demons. They discovered that Jesus' power was victorious no matter how fierce 
or tenacious the storm. So that brings us to the second thing we can discover, that, that we can find certainty in the storm of confusion. We can find certainty in the storm of confusion. You have to grasp the order of events here. Jesus and his disciples stepped off the boat, and they immediately are met with this crazed, naked man. And Jesus instantly recognized the demonic influence. He commanded the evil spirits to come out. But before it does, the man cries out to Jesus with our third question. What do you want with me, Jesus? And he begs Jesus not to torture him. Now, it's hard to know at this point who's speaking here, the man or the demons inside the man. And and I don't know that really we can differentiate that. But it made me wonder, why would this man fear Jesus? Why would he think that Jesus freeing him from demonic power would be like torture? Maybe you've known people who were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid to come to Jesus. They were afraid maybe to come to church. Perhaps you're one that you've been praying for and reaching out to as someone who would say, what do you want with me, Jesus? What could Jesus or the church ever want with me? Maybe at times in your life you've wondered the same thing. Like this man, we can be afraid of radical change, even though it may be for our good. Because change is painful, right? But staying the same, that's easy. That's the path of least resistance. But change is hard work. It requires sacrifice and suffering. We're, we're having to make a lot of changes right now, and it's painful. And so Jesus replied by asking this man our fourth and final question. What is your name? See, this man's problem was that his identity had been lost in the demons that possessed him. Jesus came to restore our God-given identities as His children, as God's image bearers. This man's life was fractured into a legion of warring pieces. A legion was four to 5,000 Roman soldiers. It was, it was as if this man had 5,000 demonic soldiers inside of him waging war against his soul. Jesus came to bring shalom. He came to bring wholeness to our fractured lives. And that's what Jesus does when He casts these demons out. He brings wholeness. He takes the man whose name was Legion and He makes him one again. And now instead of being possessed and under the power and authority of thousands of Satan soldiers, we find the man sitting at Jesus' feet, a sign of submission. He was sitting under Jesus' authority now. Have you ever felt fractured? Even though a lot of you are stuck at home right now, if you're like me, you're pulled in a thousand directions, right? I mean, you're worried about your family. You're trying to tend to your family and spend time with them, but you're also thinking about work. Maybe you can't be at work right now, so you're working from home, and that blurs all kinds of lines. You're thinking about your clients, your customers, your employees, your coworkers. Maybe you're being the homeschool parent right now, so you're tending to your child, trying to keep them engaged with school, and at the same time, trying to keep your family connected with church. We're being fractured. We're being pulled in so many directions. We don't have to be possessed by demons to identify with how this man must have felt. Even the Apostle Paul talked about these inner battles in Romans 7, where he talked about he doesn't do the things that he knows he should do, and the things he doesn't want to do, those are the very things he does, and... He said it's like that he's at war within himself. When we live fractured lives, we serve a thousand masters. What we need to do is submit ourselves under the authority of God's Word. Because true freedom is only found at the feet of Jesus. 
And that's where we find certainty in who we are. That's where we experience wholeness instead of being tossed about by the the wind and the waves of confusion. We can find certainty with Jesus. Third, we can find freedom. We can find freedom in the storm of shame. When we first met this man, right, he's running around the tombs naked with chains dangling from his wrists and his ankles. This is a powerful, if not disturbing, mental image. As I said before, nakedness was highly offensive to the Jewish mindset. This man was drowning in shame. Maybe, like me, you've looked at our culture and you've wondered, where is the shame, right? We seem to live in a society full of people who flaunt all morals and absolute truth. They believe that everything is relative. Whatever feels good, do it. I saw a news clip just this past week about all the spring breakers down at the beaches in Florida just so obsessed with partying and getting drunk and that's all they cared about. And they were complaining about all this coronavirus stuff and how, you know, how are they supposed to go to the bars and get drunk? How are they supposed to party when all the stuff is shut, is shut down? And I just thought to myself, how sad. They had no shame whatsoever. It seems to me that we are worse off today as a society than this poor demon-possessed man because at least he knew shame. He understood his condition. Ironically, it's his shame that drove him to the beach, not to party, but to find Jesus and to find freedom. And Jesus took away his shame. And so now the man could sit at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. He had a renewed sense of what was right, decent, and proper. Only Jesus can truly set us free from the power of sin. Only Jesus can give us a fresh start. Number four, finally, we can find clarity in the storm of isolation. This man was living alone in the tombs. He had been isolated, cut off from society. His family had abandoned him. See, God created us to live in community. And when we don't allow people who love us to speak truth into our lives, then the lies of Satan can take root, just as the demons took root in this man. When we cut ourselves off, from others, We begin to have a distorted view of the world. We need each other. And this is especially relevant for us today because we're being forced to isolate. We're being forced to socially distance ourselves from each other for our physical health and the physical health of others. But we desperately need each other. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion who's roaming about trying to separate us off from one another so that he can devour us. And that's why that we are working so hard to provide as many ways for us to stay connected as a community of faith during this season. We need to reach out to one another with phone calls and texts and Facebook messages and, and when you can, maybe one-on-one. I hope that you and your family will fully participate with us through our plan that we're calling Faith at Home Connect. And I'm going to share more about that in the announcements at the end. But we want to provide you with as many opportunities as possible to try to keep a sense of normalcy through worship and Sunday school, through Wednesday night activities for all ages, and and a few other fun things throughout the week. We want to stay connected as a church family. Your staff and your volunteers are working hard, maybe even harder than ever, as we try to figure all of this stuff out. It's a huge learning curve. But we want you to grow in Christ daily, and we want us to maintain our life together as the family of God. I want you to notice one final thing before we finish. 
Notice that after Jesus radically changed him, this man responded in three ways. He turned his attention to Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. And he wanted to follow Jesus on his mission. And Jesus said, the best way you can do that is to go back home. Go back home and tell those who know you, who know your situation, what God has done for you. Those people that know you best, they're the ones that your testimony will have the greatest impact with. I encourage all of us during this season not to forget to share our stories. Let's not forget our one that we are reaching. We have friends and neighbors and co-workers and people around us that are scared right now. They're worried. They're fearful of the future. People are thinking about life and death matters in a way maybe they never have before. And who knows, but God will use this coronavirus pandemic to bring a great spiritual awakening to our country and our world. And who knows, but that won't happen mainly through the digital realm. I think God could be at work behind this, doing some amazing things through an otherwise tragic situation. And so now is a perfect time for us to share our faith story, to invite our one to worship with us online. You might not be able to get them in the building, but maybe they'll watch worship online. Maybe you can tag them in some posts that you think would be encouraging or helpful to them. Invite them to be a part of a Facebook watch party. We're going to do one of those tonight and watch some Bible Project videos. So maybe you know somebody's had some questions about the faith. That could be a, way, a great way to plug them into the life of the church. And who knows, but then when all this is done, they might be that much more receptive to stepping in the doors. Like this man who came to Jesus, he experienced radical change, an amazing change in his life. Maybe our ones, too, through this, can see Jesus and experience transformation in their life. When you're overcome by the storms of life, how do you respond? Like the disciples, do you try to handle life on your own? Afraid because you won't trust Jesus? Like the townspeople, do you fear Jesus' power and reject His authority and ask Him to leave you alone because change might cost you too much? Or like the demon-possessed man, do you sit at Jesus' feet, humbly submitting to His authority and letting His power make you whole and free? Listen, we all can deal with demons of one form or another. We all face different storms in our life. We all need Jesus. Every moment of every day. I pray that you would cry out to Jesus today. Let Him calm your storms. Let Him free you from your shame. Let Him give you that certainty that you feel like you're lacking right now. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would help us in this stormy and uncertain time to plant our feet firmly on the gospel, to keep our eyes fixed on you, and to reach our hands out, whatever way that means in this environment right now, to check on, to love, to encourage and comfort and meet the needs of the people around us. Father, I pray that whoever is listening right now, Lord, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, if they've never put their faith and trust ultimately in you for the salvation of their soul, for the forgiveness of their sins, for the hope of eternal life, I pray that today they would pray and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you. Would you forgive me and come and live in me and give me a fresh start today? Father, I pray that there are Christians out there right now, Lord, that are struggling, that are concerned, that they would spend some time today praying and trusting in you. 
bringing these concerns to you and looking to you in the midst of the storm. And I pray you would encourage all of us to redouble our efforts this week to reach out to those that are storm-tossed in a life of sin, that don't know you, and share the hope of the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and I invite you to sing with us. And if you need to respond in some way, obviously can't come down front and talk to me here, but I pray that you would send me a message on Facebook or give me a phone call or reach out some way and let me know what your needs are so I can pray for you and encourage you. Let's sing together.